Keep pushing things. There it goes. I have to push it twice. Thank you. Um, students, that's what you should do to Rick Ashley when he gets up next Sunday. See what he does. Rick's not known for being extemporaneous, so that would be kind of fun. Preach the word and see what he does. Uh, this isn't being taped, is it? You know, many places looking for a minister, that would be really good. I really appreciate the heart of all the fathers that have stood up here, um, especially the gentleman who was lead us, leading us in our communion thoughts. Because on the way up here yesterday, uh, one of our vans had an old-fashioned gospel singing. And um, as they were on their walkie-talkie pushing play, and we had to be forced to listen to what was going on in their van. And they were probably more holy because we were playing like best of the 80s pop music back to them. And they decided to play gospel music. So I repent of that. Um, I was reminded of a strange scene. And I am positive that the man who led us in communion thoughts, this is where his mind went when he thought about his dad's hands. I can still remember. My father's been gone 22 years. Was the best man at my wedding. My fishing buddy. And I still miss him dearly. But the thought came to my mind as I was driving into Ruidosa Village. I remember seeing my dad sing. Is anybody with me? He's a horrible singer, okay? I remember ghost writers and whatever kind of part he picked out of the choruses at church. But I remember him listening to the sermon. I remember his Bible, which is now in my office, and the colored pencils that marked up that Bible. And I remember him asking me to teach the senior adult class, which was his class at the Garden Ridge Church. And it was the first time I ever spoke to anyone about the resurrection of Jesus. It was John 21. I remember that. And I'm very thankful for my dad. And hopefully you dads are giving your children what my dad gave me and I gave my children is a drug problem. That you have drugged your children to church. Because you got to admit, this is an odd environment. As a child, you have to try to have fun. You know what I'm saying? When you're young, you're like, you can only do so much with a golf pencil and a card. There's so much doodling you can do on that. But the older you get, the more things you begin to remember. And like that song we just sung, in Christ redeemed and Christ restored, as Brian was leading us to that chain of divine light. How many of you remembered singing that song as a youth? Raise your hand. That's what church is about. It is about all of these memories where you're like, I don't know exactly how I was drugged to church or, or whether or not I just kind of stumbled into it. But the richness of the simplicity, but the Holy Spirit movement among us is so evident the older you get. And I'm looking out in the audience, y'all are just tearing up. You're like, yes, preach the word. I can offer an invitation and all of you would just want to repent for whatever right now. You get it. But I also understand, as our brother said, that there's some of you that don't have a father figure like I did. And with tears, I work with him every single day. And it is so hurtful to see dads who don't hold up the standard of truth and destroy families and are so selfish. And you get these students as they're, they're getting older and you want them to know a loving God and they just can't make that move because their father was anything but loving. Have you ever been there as well? Here's why we have to go to the good and beautiful community. And we have to continue on with our study. Because here's the deal. If I were to have a discussion with you of, of why do we do church? 
Some of you really probably couldn't articulate, but it's, it's what you've always done. It's something emotional, but you have that drug problem that your father gave you and his father before him. And if you don't go to church, it just doesn't feel right. And others of you have come to church because there was an emptiness in your life. And when you got here, there was something that it gave you. From both expressions, we're going to be reminded today of why this beautiful community we're a part of, that she is encouraging to us. She is encouraging. There's a reason you're here today. Even if you're here because you're from Lubbock or Midland or surrounding area and you got to go to church on Sundays, so this is your summer home. You always go to church, so you're here. I want you to be reminded of why you want to be here. And if you're kind of on the fringes going, I'm not so sure I understand everything about these gateway people. They sure are friendly, but there has to be something up. I mean, if that's you... I want you to hear why we're here and why we want you to be a part of this community so bad. Let's stop and pray. Father, we pray that your word would come boldly in power upon this place. That you would help us be reminded of the simplicity, but the power of why we are here this morning. Of the encouragement we gain by being together with all of your saints. Father, we are not perfect. We claim perfection through your son, Jesus. Father, we realize that sometimes we make it where people look at us and they don't see a uniqueness in our community. I pray that we will reclaim that uniqueness and a commitment to live into that unique relationship that Jesus gives us as members of this one body that has that divine light, that divine link of story that is bringing us together this morning. So, Father, be with us and all who agree say. Amen. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10, and I want you to remain there. But I'm going to solve a theological question you've probably been wondering about for decades. Church attendance is going to count, okay? Church attendance is going to count on the day of judgment. You're like, wow, I better just catch up, huh? I remember some of my earliest sermons. The first time I ever got to preach on a Sunday morning at my home church. I went to the verse that we're about to go to, and I said something like this. Some of you will not be here tonight for the 5 p.m. service. You're laughing because you know where I'm going. I'm from Dallas. It's like, you're going to go to the Cowboy game. And you're not going to leave during the fourth quarter like good Christians do. You're, you're going you're gonna to miss the 5 o'clock assembly. And then I look at the teenagers. So some of you are going to do homework tonight because you didn't do it yesterday. You're not coming to church. And I'd look at the parents and I would scold them as a 15-year-old like they wanted to listen to me. Why are you holding up homework higher than you are the cross of Christ? If you were to die today and you were not in church at 5 p.m., where would you spend eternity? Now, I had some kind of poem about church attendance that I read. And then I went to this verse. Sound familiar? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And I would pause. And I would say it again, not giving up meeting together. And I'd look at them as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I would use that verse as a battle axe to say, if you did not go to church every time those doors were open, God's going to check that attendance and you better be careful because you may not be faithful. You're going to go the way of the goats. Has anybody ever heard this verse presented that way? Let's be honest. Raise your hand. 
Some of you are like, I'm so damaged, I can't raise it any higher. That kind of church attendance is not going to be checked. I'm not even so sure that's so encouraging. I've been in churches, this is not one of them, where I'm walking around going, do these people even know why they're here? Do you know what I'm saying? They just kind of file in and they sit down. And the song leader gets up and they sit down and they stand up and they grab their songbook and they turn to the number. And I mean, it's like you want to poke them to go, are you singing? Are you on autopilot? I mean, do you know what's going on? And then they kind of listen to a sermon. They're like, amen. They take a few notes. They sit down. They fill out their attendance card. They stand up on Sunday night if they couldn't make a communion on Sunday morning. I mean, they go through all the right stuff and they leave. And I'm like, is this zombie church? Do you know what's happening? But they did their time. So God owes them. I'm safe for another week. And some of you are old enough to remember the tricks we used to play. If you wanted to get on the road early for vacation, or if the Cowboys were playing at 1230, and you wanted to be sure to get into the parking lot and watch the kickoff, you would leave after communion. Do you remember those days? You could miss the sermon. But just don't miss the grape juice and crackers and the contribution. And you would see people just filing out when the Cowboys were doing well in the 70s. You're like, what are we doing? And I always thought it was so strange. Now, I'm going to throw rocks at that. I'm old enough to do that. I have enough gray hair to say, we missed something, church. That's not why we're here. When you look at the context of Hebrews 10, see, we would take that one verse and say, this is why you should go to church. If you don't go to church, you are in so much trouble. Is involved in a whole chapter and probably one of the most beautiful, challenging, spurring on, as we're about to look at, chapters in the New Testament. To put it in a nutshell, what happens? These Christians, without the encouragement through the community of faith, were losing their witness their holiness, and their competence. I mean, it's so obvious. Without being involved in this community of believers, as the believers would go out and live in their world, people began to push back on them and say, you're not like us. And in order to stand up boldly, they needed other people to stand with them. But if they weren't with other people, they begin to compromise their witness. And when you compromise your witness, you begin to compromise your holiness. And you get involved in a little bit of sin because you don't want people to feel uncomfortable around you. And then when you get involved in enough sin, you lose the confidence that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to cover all of your sin. Because you know yourself and you know you've been playing the game and you know you don't stand strong in the world. And you're playing a game at church and you're playing a game with your sin. So when you come to the communion, you're like, that can't be for me because I have messed around on God and my commitment that I made him. Has anybody ever been there? I've been there. I've played zombie church. I've played that. I've done the grape juice and crackers. So you owe me God routine and we're missing out. And that's what's happening to the people that Paul is writing to in this letter. They've lost their witness, their holiness and their confidence. They have two decisions. One, they resign themselves to shame and leave the body of believers and just go on into the world full speed. 
I see that all the time. We still lose 40 to 50% of our young people. We have more videos for young people. We have more activities for young people. We have better camps. We have more trained student workers. We have some of the most amazing trips planned. And we still lose 40 to 50%. Do you know why I believe it is? Because they need to see a group of adults that have totally sold out to the body of Christ. And that's what they want. They don't want another showcase. They want a group of adults that will say, this is real to me. Let it be real to you. I believe that. You've just amened and believe that. So what do you do if you've lost your confidence, your holiness, and your witness? What Paul is telling them to do, and I'm going to encourage us to do, is you break into the encouragement the body of Christ offers... And you spur one another on in these areas so that we can be ready for kingdom on earth living here and the life to come. So let's work ourselves backwards. Let's think about spurring for a moment. A few years ago, I took a trip up to Ruidoso with my son, Braden and Lisa. We decided to go up the mountains here and we did a little horseback riding. Okay. I am not very skilled on a horse. And I realize spurs in a horse, especially when you're just following the horse in front of you, you got to be very careful with that spur because spurs make a horse move. And today these verses are going to make you move. And I may spur you a little too hard. It's in the Bible. Paul does some spurring because he wants us to move in our holiness. He wants us to move in our confidence and he wants us to move in our witness. So let's start with the brand with the first one. I want you to go to Hebrews 10, and we're going to start reading in verse 17, in verse 11. In a beautiful section of scripture where Paul is saying, I want you to, sh- I want to, want you to see the supremacy of what Christ did once and for all for you. Look at, listen to these words. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which he can never, which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. Amen, church. Verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer, I love this, any sacrifice for sin. I want you to listen to that because he goes on and he says, we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's a living, a new way open through the curtain that is his body. And that since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is he trying to say? Be encouraged. Christ is enough. I want you to do something awkward. I want you to look at the person next to you and look at him right in the face and say, Christ is enough. Go ahead. I'll wait. Now look to the next person. Say it. Christ is enough. 
Now think about this. You can't sing enough songs to save yourself. You can't do enough nice things to save yourself. You can't go on enough mission trips. You can't go to enough hospital visits. You can't cook enough brownies. We want you to try, but you can't cook those brownies. You can't. Christ, let this sink in, is enough. We don't talk about that. That's the reason we have to come together, because you know yourself. I know myself. I know that I need a Savior. I know that if left to my own devices, I'm going to choose the way of a sheep. Those are dumb animals. I mean, think about that for a moment. There's a reason why the Lord calls us sheep. You can have a bunch of sheep together, and a wolf comes in and plucks Charlie the sheep away. Just bloop, there they go. And the sheep are like, well, that's strange. He was right here just a moment ago. I, strange. Think about that. We need to be led and left to our own devices and not following the one who is enough for our sin. We will always choose Romans chapter 7. The bad that we really don't want to do. Are you with me? I was called back from camp one year. I made an arrangement with an older gentleman who was a mentor of mine. He was reaching the end of his life. And if he ever needed to talk to me, I said, wherever I am across the country, if you're getting towards your last moments, I will arrange and be sure that I can get by your bedside. And I got the call. I came back from camp. I went to the hospital and I held his hand. And here's his question. He said, David... If I had this all to do over again, I'm afraid I'd make the same mistakes. I I don't think I'm ready. I I haven't done enough good. This was a senior saint. I haven't done enough good things and I'm about to die. I don't know what to do. So I, I did the only thing I could think of. I looked at him and I said, you're right. It's not exactly what he wanted to hear at the moment. I'm like, you're right. None of us have. Be at peace. It's not about you. It's about the cross. Paul goes on, and I love this. I want you to listen because it's one of the greatest verses in the Bible, I believe, from Galatians 2, 19 and following. He said, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. And in the Greek language, it's a beautiful picture of a word. And this is basically what Paul is saying. The blood of Calvary still flows over me. That crucifixion that I surrendered my life to and I said I accept Jesus as Lord. That blood still cleanses me my entire life. My salvation, my present, my future, my now is secure through Jesus Christ. Christ is enough. And then here's what he says. For if righteousness could be gained through the law. In other words, if I could do anything to earn my salvation, if my coming to church is just to prove to God that I'm better than all of those who are playing golf right now this moment, if you're trying to prove anything by your presence here, here is what we're saying. Christ died for nothing. 
I love the fact that I get to look at my brothers and sisters in the face almost every week. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are saying to each other, Christ is enough. That's encouraging for me. Because that means I'm coming here not out of some kind of weird guilt that if I sing a song wrong, if I make a wrong move, that an angry God is going to send me to a devil's hell. That's not the message of the cross. An angry God has been satisfied through the blood of his son. And we come here to celebrate that fact of a father who loves us, even though we get things wrong quite often. Do you remember when your kids started walking? Think about that for a moment. As soon as your kids started walking, did they just get it? Not at all. I mean, my son and my daughter, they would take one step and they're like, wow, and then boom, on their face. So you know what I did? I looked at him. I said, you're a bad kid. Everybody else is walking. Why are you embarrassing me? Little Johnny's walking. Why aren't you walking by now? Don't cry. You're dead to me. Is that what I did? No. Boy, I got on the phone. We called the grandparents. We called everyone and saying, whoa, they're walking. They're not walking. They're falling with one step. We celebrated the step. And I believe with all my heart in heaven because Christ is enough and we remind each other of that. That even if you make one more step of boldness in your holiness, one more step of boldness in your witness, and you fall straight on your face Tuesday morning, up in heaven, God's going, Whoa, did you see that? My baby's walking. And Michael's going, I just saw a collision. Don't talk to me. They're walking. That's our Father. That's all over the Bible. Exodus 19. I led you in on eagles' wings. All through the prophetic literature, Ephraim, I taught you how to walk. Isn't that good news? To be encouraged. Okay, I told you sometimes the spurring is going to hurt. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? I told you, this isn't easy. Whose blood has been treated as an unholy thing. The blood of the covenant that sanctified him. Who has assaulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What in the world is going on? He's just encouraged us with the idea that Christ is enough and is going to take care of all of these things. What did Christ do? God sent his son. And he paid the price of our sins. The only one, as Hebrew 10 says, that could be sinless and live a sinless life. He was offered up. Our sin payment was not cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls it cheap grace when we just accept the forgiveness and we don't accept the lifestyle. Then we come to church for what it gives us, but we don't live into the holiness that God calls us to live. We are supposed to be a different people. Let's go back to the sheep metaphor. If you have a sheep or a pig, 
A sheep's going to get dirty every once in a while. A pig lives in mud. If you get both of them ready to show and you close the pen doors and all of a sudden you open them up and there's a mud puddle, the pig's going to go, I'm right at home. And there they go. The sheep may still get muddy, but they're doing that. Well, that's gates open. A pig's in the mud. It may take them a little bit longer, but they don't live there. And see, there's sometimes that we look, and it's a powerful word when Paul says, you are trampling the blood of God's Son. When we say it doesn't matter how we live out there, as long as we put on the church face and do everything right in here, as long as my reputation is solid and I'm above reproach in people's eyes, I can do whatever I want to in secret. That doesn't play with God. Because His grace was bought at the price of His Son. Guess what, church? We're supposed to encourage each other not to do that. Ah, really? Here's what I hear quite often. After 25 plus years of ministry, you ask somebody, hey, I, I notice this stuff's going on in your family. Can I have an assistance or can we help? And they're like, don't judge me. You ever heard that? Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. Absolutely. But what Jesus is talking about, you better be careful how you judge others because it's coming back on you. Then you got these weird words that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that you are supposed to judge each other. Ah, really? Is that in the Bible? Go look it up. You don't judge the world. You don't call all the evil out in the world, but you look at each other and you say, this isn't right among God's people. It's the reason they have the entire book of 1 Corinthians. I like that. Galatians 5, Paul says, you are to help one another in love, not in condemnation. But if you see me living a life contrary to what you're seeing on this stage, you have an obligation as my family member to say, David, can I talk to you about something? Do you think that's going to be a pleasant conversation? Everybody say no. But it's a needed conversation. You've had it with your children in your home, haven't you? Fathers, if you see your kids doing something and hear them doing something, you're going to say, ah, you know, they're all right. They'll grow out of it. Everybody kills small animals and puts their carcasses at the principal's door. I mean, no. You're going to say, son, that's not appropriate. But too often, and here you go, I'm going to call us out. We love to gossip about how our family's better than everybody else's family, but we don't have the courage to go to their door and knock on the door and say, we need to pray with you because we're concerned. I want that. I want that kind of accountability. I'm not saying I like it, but I want that. And that's what Paul is saying here. That we have to take sin seriously. Because if we lose the confidence in the blood of Jesus, then and, and we start kind of messing around with sin, our witness will be destroyed. Our family and another close family friend, we take a trip to Padre every year. And it's fun. My, my wife loves the sun. Our family loves the sun. We just sit out on the beach and do nothing. It's a free condo. It's, it's fun. So don't be jealous. That's another sermon. That's not good. But right now, it's great. Last year, we had a really bad riptide. Okay, and I, I, I'm one of those guys that I've been around water my whole life. I take it serious. But ocean water is something you really have to take serious. As some of you have been around that because it's, it can be dangerous. 
And I'm sitting out there fishing, and all of a sudden, my buddy and I look up, and there's these three people that you could tell have not been in the ocean very long. And they're like, it's so much fun, bobbing up and down. And they start going faster and out into the ocean. And they're like, all of a sudden, they start panicking, going, help, help. And I look at my friend, you think they're having fun? Are they goofing off? They're like, nope, one of them's going down. So um, we jumped into this like riptide area and swam with them and, and basically saved them and said, hey, this is, you really shouldn't play out here in these areas. Thank you, we never will again. But I think about that, think about how easy it is to get involved in sin when you don't take it seriously. I just do a little bit. You know, it's not that big of a deal. I just did this one thing. And you start getting involved in a current where you look up one day, just like in the ocean, you are so far away from where you wanted to be. That's why we needed to know at first that our confidence is in Christ alone. Because if you find yourself swimming far away from where you know you should be, and your life is not practically holy anymore, and you're sinning so deliberately and not taking grace and the cost of that grace seriously, I'm glad Christ is enough because he will always save us and bring us back in confidence to where he wants us to be. So don't lose sight of that great encouragement that Christ is enough. But at the same time, we meet together to remind each other, sin is serious. Now, I want you to think about this. In Hebrews 32 now, 1032, remember those early days after you'd received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest, in the face of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you know that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And then he tells them again, don't throw away your confidence. What is he saying here? Be a courageous witness. One of the reasons we get together is because the world is a rough place. And sometimes we forget that. I come across families and other believers that are second or third generation believers and they've lost the edge. Let me explain. They believe success is their kids not receiving pushback because of their faith. What if I were to tell you we're handicapping our kids because they don't know the price of their faith? Because we protect them too much. Because we've created holy huddles, religious ghettos, where we don't visit with real live uncaged pagans. We don't know how they talk. We don't know how they act. We just try to keep our children away. What if I were to tell you that's not in the Bible? Actually, it's the opposite. You are to be light. You are to be salt. First Peter 3, you're an alien. You're a stranger as you live among See, our goal is to be out among the world. If we're not out among them, they don't see our uniqueness and there's no need for a courageous witness because we're witnessing to no one but a lot of other people who already know what we know. In order for us to be the church on the move and the kingdom that aggressively pushes into the world, we need each other. Because I all the time, I remind my son and my daughter as they go into their schools, make Jesus look good, make Jesus look good. But the only reason they're going to be able to do that is because they know other believers in there that believe the same thing they do. So when push comes to shove, they have someone to look at and say they believe like I believe and they gravitate towards them. And then they begin to make a difference in their schools. That happens in the workplace. That happens in the community. 
That's called evangelism. Evangelism is not a program. It's a lifestyle. It's not my job. It's not John's job. It's not your job to bring him to church. It's your job to be the church out there. That's different. And we can't do that if we're not together spurring one another on. Because it's rough out there, folks. If you spend time out there, you don't always hear nice God bless you words. Would you agree with that? When people hit their fingers with hammers, it's not always, well, I'll just pray about that. That doesn't always happen. And when you live in that kind of world, we need a place where we assemble together and we encourage each other. And I love the way that the Hebrew writer says in verse, um, at the very end of chapter 10, verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who believe and are saved. I believe with all of my heart, and you see it in the writings of Paul, we cannot be courageous witnesses unless we have a community of believers that encourage us in our witness. Amen. You know that. So here's why we're here, according to Hebrews chapter 10. We encourage one another. We remind each other that Christ is enough. We are here together to spur one another to take sin seriously and manage that sin among us. And as 1 John says, we even confess that sin. We don't hide it. We confess it. We get rid of us. And in love, we deal with that together in an accountability. And we're here together to encourage one another to be strong witnesses out there. That's why we're here. So church attendance does count, doesn't it? Church attendance does count because I need those three things in my life. I want to show you a little video. We may not have sound, so let me tell you what you're going to see. Some of you may have heard of it. Jake Hoffman is a seven-year-old who deals with cancer. And uh, I'm a huge Nebraska Cornhusker fan. Some of you know that. And I was checking on the spring football website. And this is the biggest story that came out of Huskertown, their Lincoln, during their spring game. The team had been loving on and mentoring and accepting the seven-year-old cancer patient, Jake. And this is what happens. And he's wearing the number 22, guys. It is Jack Hoffman of Team Jack coming out of the field right now in this fourth down and short. Jack Hoffman has been adopted really by this football team. A young man who has battled brain cancer. He's on the field right now for the Huskers. One more snap for Taylor Martinez, too, who will hand it off to Jack. So Taylor gets the shotgun set, gives it to Jack. Here he goes. He's got blockers out in front. There he goes. Run him to midfield. Listen to this crowd. There's Jack Hoffman. As I mentioned, he's really been adopted by this football team. He scored a touchdown. Oh, wow. What a moment. And both benches. Don't you just want to clap for that? Isn't that great? That, that was a moment right there. Wow. Goosebumps. I think of Jack, and I think of the sin, if you will, in our own lives, and I compare the two. 
Here's Jack who deals with an illness. And Jack is probably never going to play at that level of football. When I look at my sin, I look at my own failures. There is no way in the world that I can achieve what God says I can achieve by myself. Would you agree with that? I need Christ in my life. And then when I accept Christ and I go out on the field, there's no way in the world that I can manage my sin by myself. There are way too many opposing forces that want to tackle me and take me down. There is no way Jack can make it to the end zone without those big Husker linemen. There's no way. There's no way in the world I can be a courageous witness. I'm not strong enough. I can't go out into the world day after day after day without having a church body that is there with me and encouraging me. I need big people of faith that it can walk alongside him and say, I'm praying for you. I'm being with you. I, I, will, I will go with you. I need people standing next to me. And that's what you see in that video. Jack was given direction. Jack was given blocking. Jack scored. That's a great picture of what we're here for, church. It's not to buy you one more step closer to heaven. It's not to appease an angry God. It's to celebrate a Christ who is enough for you. It's a place where we can be honest and open and deal with our sin and to take it seriously. And it's a place where we can look at each other in the eye and say, I'll stand up if you stand up. Who's with me? That's why the church is encouraging. And this is a beautiful, beautiful community. Let's stand together. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. The shepherds are going to be down front. And if you've not claimed publicly that Christ is enough and you've not confessed him as Lord and surrendered your life in baptism, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And the shepherds will be here to take your confession. If you have some things you're dealing with, you don't need to leave this place not taking your sin seriously or saying, hey, I'll deal with it. Thanks for a reminder, Dave. You need a body that fights with you and helps you hold yourself accountable. These shepherds will be here to receive those prayers as well. But for all of us, I want you to look around for a moment. I just want you to say another word. Just look at the people next to you and say, I will stand with you. Go ahead. Look to the other people. I will stand with you. You need that. Before I pray and we sing and the invitation will be yours. I help coach and am a character development person at Richland High School, a 5A school next to our church building. And it's a very diverse, unique environment. And the FCA coach, her name's, I already know that, it's being recorded. She's a pretty neat lady. She's about this big. I don't like to mess with her. She worked something out with these people who are involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. She said, even in this environment, If you ever feel down and you just want a prayer request and we're passing really fast through the halls, all I want you to do is raise your hand and do this. And so you go through Richland High School and Christian athletes are walking around the place like this is a hard day and they'll just go. And they're just calling down blessings and they can see each other and say, here it is. I don't know what your hand signal needs to be in Rudosa. I mean, I'm not asking you to come up with a hand signal. But you've just committed to each other that you're going to be together. And when we take that next step and say, I'm going to be a strong witness with you. The ministry of this church will go to another level. It's already very high. The ministry of the church global will go another level because we commit to each other. We're going out. I'm going to go out with you. This is not what it's about. That is what it's about.
Let me pray for you and then we'll have this response. Father, thank you for a beautiful, encouraging community. Father, we thank you that Christ is enough and that we can encourage each other with that. Father, I thank you for loving us enough to hold us accountable, give it a strong word that it's not all right to take sin lightly. Father, would you give us the courage to be involved in each other's life when we see things that are not holy and good, to take that sin seriously in each other's lives? Father, to judge each other out of loving motivation because of the greatness of that totality of Christ's gift, let us be involved in each other's life. And Father, as a result, let us be able to be courageous witnesses in the world outside these walls. Father, this week, I pray that this whole church can be a courageous witness as students come to hear some stories from your word. Father, I pray for Mountain Family Fellowship. Father, for Mountain View Camp. But more than just these events, Father, I pray for every single moment that they're walking through this village. Father, every single moment is there a store, a gas station, that you will help them be courageous in their witness. And Father, would you protect this community? Would you not let them forsake the assembly or giving up meeting? Let none of them become in the habit of doing that. Mr. Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you need to respond, come.